Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Go to Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for checking in. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. The regular season is now over. We are moving on to postseason activities. First thing to take care of business, unfortunately, for the Miami Heat is going to be getting out of the play-in tournament. Despite a 3-1 week for Miami last week, they did not do quite enough to leapfrog the Brooklyn Nets to get that sixth seed and get the full week off. Instead, they will be taking on the Atlanta Hawks uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday, in the 7-8 matchup. So today's episode will, as usual, still go over the last week of the regular season games, even though two of them were practically meaningless, as we'll, we'll get to. Middle segment, we'll do what we usually do this time of the year, go over how Miami looked over the course of the regular season, what kind of takeaways can we take going into the postseason, and then we'll look ahead at the playoff bracket, the play-in tournament, and uh, previewing the first-round matchup against the Atlanta Hawks. Good schedule. All right, let's jump right back into it. First things first, got to go through last week's games and finish off the regular season. So it was a 3-1 week, which is still good. It's over 500, so that's a pretty solid week. But unfortunately, too good, too late. Miami ended up locked into the seventh seed by pretty much like Friday night, as we'll we'll come to get to. Uh, First up, though, we go back to last Tuesday where Miami won at the Detroit Pistons 118 to 105 in a game that was much much closer than that until a blow blow away win by Miami uh, to finish out the game. For the game though, Bam would be back. He had missed the previous Saturday game against the Dallas Mavericks due to a, I believe it was a hip contusion, but you know, had a few more days off cuz yeah, they had two days off before that Dallas game, add Dallas off, another two, yeah, Sunday Monday off. So he had a full five days off, looked good, uh, was able to come back against the Detroit Pistons on Tuesday. But Miami only going eight deep in what uh, I and a few others have thought is pretty much going to be the playoff rotation. So we had seen in the previous Saturday against the Mavericks where Spolster seemed to try a different starting lineup, moving Kevin Love to the bench, putting Max Struess in his place in the starting lineup. So it would have been Vincent, Hero, Butler, Struess. And on Saturday, Zeller, because Bam was out, kept that same four, just swapping Bam in for Zeller, and Zeller not even getting minutes off the bench. Uh, Instead, Kevin Love came in as the backup five. So um, that same five, and then Caleb Martin, uh, Kyle Lowry, and uh, Kevin Love off the bench for your eight-man rotation. And then on the Pistons side of things, they were missing a ton of players because they were blatantly tanking uh, to secure the top lottery picks in the Wimby sweepstakes. So the game itself, though, uh, like we've said, like I've mentioned in previewing that game last week, this is a Pistons team that that whooped Miami and then still played them tough uh, a few weeks ago when they still had nothing to play for then. And sure enough, they still played Miami pretty damn tough going through this game. First quarter was very back and forth, tied at 27 before Miami scored the last four. Miami, interestingly enough, came out this quarter shooting a ton of threes. Uh, Out of their 23 field goal attempts, 14 were from three, so I thought that was interesting, like making a point to try to enforce spacing out there. And they did connect at a decent 36% of those 14 attempts, which is uh, five. So good enough that the the Pistons at least had to respect it. Going into the second quarter, though, Miami started on an 11-0 run to have a double-digit lead and kept that through most of the quarter before, at the very end, giving up a 9-1 run to close out the, the second going into halftime, only up seven. And, you know, you start to get that little little bit of dread again, like, all right, 
I guess we're going to make this a game. Yep, sure enough, third quarter, Pistons started out on an 8-0 run to take a very brief lead. Miami responded with a 13-0 run and it's like, okay, cool, at least we brought this back. Nope, Pistons go on a 9-1 run to cut it back close immediately. And then after trading some buckets, it's eventually down to the Heat, only up one going into the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter itself is very back and forth until Jimmy Butler comes in and decides that he's just done with this shit. Uh, powering an 11-0 Miami run, scoring 12 straight throughout the run and a little bit after as Miami just, in a runaway finish, wins 118-105. So, 13-point win, even though, again, it was very close until Jimmy Butler came in halfway through the fourth. Takeaways from this game. Jimmy Butler just showing complete control from from start to finish and in a like almost surreal kind of way. Very much making it a point throughout the first three quarters to do that thing he's he's done a few times where he's like, hey, I'm not even gonna score. I'm not even gonna attempt to score. He didn't have a field goal attempt until like a minute or two left in the first half and didn't really score his first bucket till the third quarter. And just let me get my assist, let me get everybody else going. Had eight assists through three quarters. And then fourth quarter came around, and he just went Terminator mode. 18 points on 7-7 seven seven from the field, 4-4 four four from the free throw line. I mentioned the 12 straight for Miami, and just completely blew any chance of, of an upset out of the water. Again, there is the part of me that's like, I really hate that it, it kind of comes down to that. Like it w- This would have been nice if we could have just settled this before Jimmy had to put on the cape in the fourth quarter. But it's a good reminder, not only for, for us as the fans, but also to the opponents in the league. Like, Jimmy Butler's got that cape. He'll throw it on when Miami needs it. Next takeaway, more concerned with uh, lineup stuff. Max Drew starting in the starting lineup. Very interesting, because I think this essentially is a three-guard starting lineup. They might say that Max Drews is a starting four, maybe. But really what I think this is... Um, and this goes way back to the start of the season. I remember I mentioned this on a pod talking about what the Heat were going to do with the starting four positions considering PJ's departure over the summer. And one of the ideas that at the time was Jimmy at the four. We've seen Miami go to that. That's been essentially the, the last ace up the sleeve over these last few years. I know specifically in the Celtics matchup last year, that was the last ace up the sleeve was Jimmy at the four lineups because that's a about the best way to mitigate the spacing. Uh, at the beginning of the season, the argument was that you don't do that then because that would wear Jimmy out. Uh, but I think that's what we're starting to do now because Max Struess is more so out there to be a floor spacer. You already have Vincent and Hero out there. This is a Jimmy at the four lineup uh, just to maximize the spacing and, and give him as much room to operate in. And last takeaway, uh, Kyle Lowry with a really solid game, looking a little bit more comfortable coming off the bench. Uh, finished 11 points, two rebounds, five assists, a steal and a block. He did not close, however, Gabe Vincent did, but I think that might have said more about Gabe Vincent having a really great game. 22 points, three rebounds, two assists on good efficiency than necessarily Kyle Lowry having a bad game. But looking like Kyle Lowry can stay healthier and produce at a more consistent level coming off the bench, how that changes going into the playoffs and or how that goes into the closing lineups, I'm not sure, but... Uh, at this point, I would not be surprised if Lowry just continues to come off the bench, uh, even in the postseason. 
Moving on from that game, spent a fair amount talking about the Pistons already. After that, on Tuesday, Miami would go continuing on the road to the Philadelphia 76ers on Thursday, winning 129-101. to Yeah, it was just a straight-up blowout. Uh, for the Heat, they went with roughly the same eight-man rotation. Uh, Highsmith did get some minutes in the second, as it looked like Miami was just blowing this game out. And then they expanded the rotation in the second half once it was assured Miami was pretty much just blowing them out. And then for the Sixers side of things, just to do due do diligence, they were without Tyrese Maxey. That is significant. Um, but really, this just wasn't a game that the Sixers had a whole ton to play for regardless. And I think that, that ended up showing with their effort. But for the, the game, just to go through that real quick, Heat and Sixers came out the gates hot, both shooting pretty well. But it wasn't until the last few minutes where Miami just took it to another level, going on a 9-0 run to be up 10, ending the first quarter scoring 41 points to the Sixers 31. Second quarter itself, it never got within 10 as Miami pushed their lead as high as up 25, though it did settle down to 21 at halftime. Third quarter came out. The Sixers did not wave the white flag yet, which was interesting. Instead, still playing their starters. And they did chip away at Miami's lead, getting it down to as little as 13, which is significant. That's a you know, plus 12 at that point, I guess, since the plus 25 in the second. But Heat responded with some threes of their own to put the lead back up, 18 going into the fourth. Then fourth quarter itself was just <laughs> entirely garbage time. For, Jimmy but- um, for the Miami Heat, no Jimmy Butler, Bam, Struess, or Vincent. And then Kyle La- uh, Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry, Kevin Love only played about seven minutes each. Just And everything after that was more so, you know, the Jamal Canes, the High Smiths, ones that aren't going to be too much uh, in the playoff rotation. Takeaways from this game, though. First one just has to be Sixers really did not have a lot to play for. They were locked into the third seed at this point. So really about the only thing they, they arguably could have played for was to see how they matched up against Miami. Uh, at the very Whereas Miami at that point in time still had something to play for with an outside chance to get the sixth seed. So Miami was something to play. Philly with not much to play for. Very And it, again, showed in the effort. Next takeaway, Heat getting their three-point shooting going at potentially the right time, shooting an absurd 11 of 23, good for 48% in the first half when you know things actually mattered. Over the course of the game, they went 18 of 39, good for 46%. And yeah, maybe they're finally getting some regression to the mean. It'd be very nice. Uh, specific contributors to that, Tyler Hero, 5 of 8, Max Strews, 4 of 8, Kyle Lowry, 3 of 4. So... You know, it wasn't like a Jamal Kane doing the brunt of the damage. Like these were rotation players that will will be there in the playoffs, uh, shooting well from three. So love to see that. And then lastly, uh, Kevin Love as the backups stretch five is interesting because on defense he's essentially a charge tanking machine. He got like three to four charges that he drew that game, and then on the offensive side of things. He went 2-6 from 3 to provide some good spacing. And yeah, at that point, Miami's going 5 out, which was, you, you could noticeably see the space uh, for like Jimmy to operate or Hero to operate inside the arc. So that stood out as a third takeaway. I, I see what Spolster's trying to go with that now. Let's just try to have Kevin Love in the middle, drawing charges, making the opposing offense second-guess whenever they go in on drives. And then on the other end of the floor, go five out, give play room for um, Bam or Butler to go crazy. So that wraps up the Thursday game against the Sixers. After that, Miami 
uh, will go on on the last, second half of back-to-back to lose Friday at the Washington Wizards, 108-114, to 114, in a game that was not as close as a score have indicated, but also a game that it essentially became meaningless. So we talked last week about the scenarios where Miami could, by chance, leapfrog the Nets to get six and out of the playing tournament. By the time Friday rolled around, what it essentially had boiled down to is Brooklyn would have to lose out their last two. Miami would have to win their last two. Brooklyn was going into against a Magic team that was already tanking. And then Sunday would be playing a Sixers team where essentially the Philadelphia 76ers could choose their opponent. Because even in the worst case scenario, if the Nets had lost Friday night, um, the Sixers could have just thrown their game on Sunday. The Nets would have picked up that win, and then we would still have had Nets Sixers regardless. So because of the way that ended up with the Magic also tanking, and then that eventually became a Brooklyn Nets blowout win to secure their sixth seed, uh, Miami arguably did the right move to try and rest their key players on the second night of a back-to-back. No Bam Adebayo, no Tyler Hero, no Jimmy Butler, no Kyle Lowry, no Kevin Love for Miami Friday night. A very clear signal that they were just going to accept the seventh seed uh, and the playing tournament with it and instead just prioritize health. For the Wizards' side of things, they would also try to tank their hardest. No Bradley Beal, no Kristaps Porzingis, no Kyle Kuzma, who are arguably their three best players. So the Wizards, as well, also trying to tank a little bit. And essentially, it was a straight-up tank fest. Both teams primarily just playing bench, rotation-heavy lineups. Really, I think the only thing that was um, noteworthy, I guess, in terms of just over the course of the game for Miami... Uh, their bench rotation players did a good job throughout the first half. The third quarter, they got absolutely blown out. I think it was, like, uh, outscored by 16, I want to say, in the third. And the fourth quarter itself was primarily garbage time where they did enough to make it look, you know, again, respectable and only a six-point loss. But believe me, it was it got double-digit very quickly in the third quarter, and then it was just kind of cruising down the stretch in the fourth. Other takeaways from this game, if you can have any, uh, Victor Oladipo taking the reins to go for 30 points on 11 of 24 in the, uh, from the field, 7 of 16 from three-point range. So I thought it interesting that in particular he was trying to take a bunch of threes, 1 of 4 from the free throw line. I think trying to make a case for a rotation spot, and that's where he was putting up a high degree of volume from three because at this point if it's going to be Jimmy at the four, Bam at the five, it, the other spots are probably going to be primarily determined by their ability to keep the floor spaced around Jimmy and Bam, which you do that by shooting threes. So, again, I think interesting takeaway there, at least just to say, hey, Victor Oladipo still look like he's trying to make a case for a playoff rotation spot. And then the last one, yeah, just Miami punted this game as the Sixers essentially controlled their own destiny. Uh, and then the Nets, by about halfway, th- by the time Miami even got to halftime, it was very clear the Nets were blowing out the Magic and going to get their needed win that Friday night. So all the suspense kind of died in the second half, and I think maybe that's what led to the blowout in the third and garbage in the fourth. I mean, it is what it is. Everything's already decided at this point. Which takes us to the last game of the week and of the regular season. Sunday, Miami winning, hosting the Orlando Magic 123-110. to For Miami, no Jimmy Butler. The rest of the rotation played around... Seven to ten minutes in the first half, nothing in the second. 
Like, this actually ended up being a record-setting night for Miami because their bench scored, it was like 100, 101 points, 102 points, something like that. An NBA record for bench scoring. But a reflection of the, of the fact that Miami starters only played a handful of minutes, therefore only got a handful of points up. Points got to come from somewhere, and though so it ended up being the bench. So performance skewing uh, that particular record now. And then no Paolo Banchero for the Orlando Magic, who were also essentially, they were done for the season, and they just wanted to get some of their players a little bit more playing time. So kind of like with the Wizards game, Miami was already locked into seventh with the Magic themselves tanking. So wasn't really much to go over in this game because there wasn't really much stakes or anything really for either team. Uh, the real big thing for Sunday was Udonis Haslam's last home game at the Miami Arena and all the festivities mainly revolving around that. Uh, of note, Dwayne Wade in the building to cheer Udonis Haslam on, his running mate, his his best one of his best friends on the Miami Heat since they were both uh, joined the team in 2003. Obviously, Dwayne Wade drafted fifth overall by Miami. Udonis Haslam undrafted. But Udonis Haslam going on to become one of only three players in NBA history to play 20-plus years all with the same franchise uh, though he is not quite the Hall of Famer in terms of accolades as the other two, Kobe Bryant and Dirk Nowitzki, uh, nonetheless, what he means to the team, uh, almost as impactful as the two of them. Again, I have to say almost. Those were those were best players on a title-winning team. Udonis has been here for all our titles, uh, but has not necessarily been that far up there. But in terms of somebody that represents the culture of Miami, in that regards, he is absolutely a Hall of Famer. So, uh, Dwayne Wade in the building to cheer him on. Bam Adebayo presenting him a rocking chair for retirement. A really nice rocking chair, actually. Good. I can't remember specifically what it had on the back with, like, True Legend or something like that. But on the sides, it had the Miami Championship banners. Uh, it was trophies, actually. So, fun, fun bit there. And then UD getting to just ball out on his last game. A team high, 24 points with three rebounds and a block. Going 9-17 from the field, 3-7 from the three-point range, 3-3 from the free-throw line, ending his historic career, at least for the regular season. And ultimately, this brings Miami to a 3-1 week that sees Miami finishing 44-38 for the season with the seventh seed going into now the play-in tournament. Before we get there, though, first I want to take a little bit of time to talk about how Miami's season, regular season as a whole, wrapped up. We do this usually at you know quarter checkpoint, halfway checkpoint, three quarter checkpoint. Let's do it for just the regular one last regular season for the full four quarter checkpoint. So general outlook of how Miami did. Well, first off, they they didn't finish last in pace, which barely they were bottom of the league in pace all year, which is fine in and of itself. Uh, just goes to reflect the style of the, the way this team plays. But I always bring up pace because Miami traditionally runs a slower pace and that affects counting game metrics because if you're running at a slower pace, you have less opportunity, less possession to accrue counting stat statistics. So, of course, they're going to look worse on like uh, anything per game basis. So typically we also look at efficiency metrics with it. So Miami finished 29th in pace with the Cavs just fractions of a possession less than them. Uh, again, just bringing that up to to keep some of the other numbers in context. 
So, offensive rating for Miami, they finished, unfortunately, 25th in the league at 112 uh, per 100. Which, when you include pace in terms of figuring out how many points per game they scored, they were still dead last, 30th, at 110 points per game. Though, at the three-quarters mark when we did this, while they were still dead last, they were dead last at around 108. So, the offense has at least improved uh, from the last quarter of the regular season. Which makes sense. It does, this team does look like they've been shooting better since about the All-Star break. Defensively, much, much better, but that's what we've come to expect from Miami Heat basketball over the years. Defensive rating, they finished top 10, 9th at 113. Uh, with pace, they finished 2nd in opponent points per game at 110 points per game. So, adjusting for pace, they're essentially about even 110 on offense, giving up 110 on defense, and at that point it just comes down to your clutch performance, and thank God we have Jimmy Butler for that. So in terms of net rating, that puts Miami 21st in the league at minus 0.5. Again, I kind of had to do some rounding stuff to not get into too much decimals, but for net rating, I can I can at least do that because it's, it's just essentially just saying like they are slightly below uh, net rating, which makes sense. Offensive rating 112, defensive rating 113. Uh, and again, I think a testament that this team was 21st in net rating, and yet still they were over 500, and you know they finished with the 7th seed. Uh, if you include pace, I guess the, probably the best way to do this would be plus-minus, uh, and at that point they're a minus 0.3, so that very close to the net rating. So general outlook, again, a team that looks like they outperformed expectations with, with given, you know, bottom 10 in the league in net rating. But we know how they did it. They did it on the defensive end and using that to try to at least prop up their offense just enough. And then once you get the games close, Jimmy Butler takes you the rest of the way. But offense and defensive side, evaluating those now. So offensive side for Miami, as we know, over the course of this entire year, has been preached ad nauseum, whether it's me, Locked on Heat, Miami Heat Beat, whatever other Heat podcasts are out there that I'm unfortunately not recognizing. The big flaw for this team has been the three-point shooting, especially crazy considering that they were first last year, going from, again, first all the way down to 27th this year at 34.4%. And teams that are around them at the bottom of, of three-point shooting are teams like the Spurs, the Hornets, and the Rockets, three of the worst teams in the NBA. And again, I think kind of a testament to how Miami's managed to keep their offense afloat when, again, their contemporaries for this kind of three-point shooting are the worst teams in the league. The good news for Miami, if there is some going into the playoffs with this, is their shooting has been roughly 38% over March and April, which would be good for around top five. So since March and April, they're shooting uh, much, much, much better from three. So maybe they're getting that regression to the mean at the right time. I would certainly welcome it. It's just really hard after an entire season that ended up pulling you down still with those good months down to 27th. That is, you know, that that part is, is the mirage and this part's the actual thing. So we'll cross our fingers. We just hope that it keeps going. But the offense for Miami essentially then has been make up for the efficiency by winning the possession battle. Ninth in turnovers per game, so they don't cough it up that much. Thirteenth in turnover percentage, so we do that to account for the pace. So they're about a little bit better than middle of the pack in terms of not giving up the ball themselves and then the pace 
makes it a bit better. Though they have been slipping with the turnovers more recently. Although maybe you could point more towards changing rotations and trying to develop new chemistry as the cause for the more recent turnover problems. And then on the boards, they don't do too much, at least offensively, in terms of extending possessions. Uh, 20th in offensive rebounds per game when you adjust for pace, 18th in offensive rebounding percentage. So a little bit less than average on grabbing offensive boards. I mean, again, this is a team that doesn't really have a whole whole ton of size, and usually they're, they're leaning more towards getting back in transition to stop any fast breaks. Uh, again, because of the size problem as well, if you have somebody big barreling down the lane and you got somebody small like Gabe Vincent uh, trying to catch up to them and contest the shot, that's just not going to happen. Instead, Gabe Vincent is trying to fall back already and is waiting there to take the charge from the much larger pa- player coming down uh, the fast break. But main thing here, though, is that they're not abysmal at keeping ex- uh, possessions extended, whether that's not turning the ball over or trying to grab some offensive rebounds, you know, whether that's like a Bam or a Butler or somebody else. So the other areas that the offense does really well, uh, second in free throw percentage, that's been pretty consistent all year, though 19th in free throw attempts per game, 13th in free throw rate, so which... Uh, free throw rate's going to account for pace as well, as, as we usually try to do with this stuff. Uh, but with that, essentially, Miami does not get to the line too much more than average. But when they get there, they're really making teams hurt. And that's a lot of that is Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo barreling the way to the free throw line. And the big reason why they've gone all the way up to second has been the leap Bam Adebayo has made at the free throw line. I think he's still like low 80s or around there. Uh, but yeah, for the most part... This is still an offense that is built around Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler bludgeoning people inside with Tyler Hero and others providing spacing via three-point shooting. So if the three-pointers are dropping, it works pretty great. If not, that's when Miami has to resort to these very grinded-out possessions and really clamping down on the defensive end uh, because like the offense just isn't, isn't going to help them pull ahead. So they have to clamp down on the defensive end or they're... Or they're going to get blown out. But, yeah, we know the offense is the weak point. Again, 25th in offensive rating. Uh, Where they do great is on the defensive end. And specifically how their defense feeds into their offense by leaning into winning those possessions. Uh, Again, both on the defensive end more so than the offensive end. So where that comes from is uh, Miami 4th in defensive rebounding percentage though 29th in defensive rebounds per game, again, because of the slower pace, but 4th in defensive rebound percentage. So if that rebound is coming off the board on the defensive end, Miami is probably going to grab it, at least at a high percentage. And then while I could not find opponent turnover percentage, uh, on a per-game basis, Miami is 3rd in opponent turnovers per game, which is especially interesting when you consider that Miami, again, runs a very slow pace, and that should bring down uh, counting stats like that. So if you were to account for pace, they would probably be first in opponent turnover percentage. And that gets back again to the same thing. Win the possession battle. If the offense can't be efficient, lean on your defense to generate turnovers, to grab defensive rebounds at a high rate when they're available to end opponent possessions. And then get more yourself. Because low-key sneaky thing about Miami's defense they have not been that great when opponents actually get shots off. 
22nd in opponent field goal percentage, uh, 22nd in opponent three-point percentage. And remember, these are these are in such a way that the lower rank you are, the higher your opponents are shooting, therefore that's how worse you are. So what it suggests is this is a defense that is more so predicated on trying to A, turn you over, and B, if you get a shot up and it doesn't go in, then they're getting that defensive rebounding ending it there. But again, opponents are shooting pretty well, and a lot of that is mainly being done uh, specifically within the paint, which again makes sense. Miami being a, a typically smaller team, and if they're not running zone, we've seen this before where teams will try to switch Bam Adebayo out into the perimeter, drag him away from the paint, and then attack the paint from different parts of the floor where Bam can't get back to recover. So it, it may, I think it makes sense within the scheme. And then in a more just a more recent look for it, uh, since March, the Heat have been 26th in opponent field goal percentage, but 16th in opponent three-point percentage. And what that's mainly reflecting is they're getting scored on more in the paint. So that's why the just in general field goal percentage is going down. But the Heat have been limiting a percentage from corner threes in particular. So that's where they, they've actually improved to 16th and opponent three-point percentage. So essentially opponents are getting less offense, uh, efficient offense from the corners and getting it more so in the paint. Overall, though... Uh, I do think there are concerns against bigger front courts, particularly like the Bucks or the Sixers, considering Miami's paint problem that has now become exacerbated over the last two months. But otherwise, this is an elite defensive team, which is commendable, I think, especially considering they have players like Tyler Hero, who we typically think is a more negative defender. Uh, he's been a little bit better. I think he's been close to neutral. But yeah, just the fact that they have Tyler Hero looking neutral... I think is, uh, again, uh, commendable to both Eric Spolstra and this defense as a whole. I mean, you got Bam Adebayo. He should be on defensive player of the year list, at the very least all defensive team. Jimmy Butler, Steel Machine, solid defenders, and Struz, Vincent, uh, Lowry. This is an elite defensive team. They can lean into that, and then we'll just have to see how much that takes us uh, going into the postseason. And with that, let us look ahead now to postseason activities. So first off, what I want to do with this, let's go ahead and just look at the playoff bracket. First with the playoff locks. No changes actually from the standings last week. So first place, Milwaukee Bucks. Second seed, Boston Celtics. Third seed, Philadelphia 76ers. Fourth seed, Cleveland Cavaliers. Fifth seed, uh, New York Knicks. Sixth seed, Brooklyn Nets. And in the play-in tournament, 7th seed Miami Heat, 8th seed Atlanta Hawks, 9th seed Toronto Raptors, 10th seed Chicago Bulls. So already the matchups decided, 3rd seed versus 6th, so Sixers versus Nets, 4th versus 5th, Cavs versus Knicks. Bucks and Celtics will await their opponents based off of the play-in game. For the injury report... Uh, the only one listed on the injury report for Miami, Nikola Jovic, again, just listed out with the back. Uh... At the, on the one hand, this, this is the most important games of the season now. We're in the postseason, so not that everybody on Miami is healthy per se, but they're at least healthy enough that they're not even being listed as like questionable or something. Again, as a point of reference, even last year when Miami was finishing up uh, certain games against like the Atlanta Hawks, they would still try to rest certain players like Kyle Lowry so, uh, and then Jimmy Butler for certain parts as well. So just to say... like. 
players can be too injured to play, obviously, in postseason activities. There's just not even being mentioned on the on the report for Miami, which I take as a good sign that the Heat are finally healthy at the perfect time of the season. As injury report, though, let's look ahead to the our game tomorrow against the Atlanta Hawks. So again, as a reminder for how the play-in tournament works, the seventh seed Miami Heat will play the eighth seed Atlanta Hawks. Winner of this game has the seventh seed in the upcoming uh, weekend, which means that they would play the Boston Celtics, the second seed. So the Atlanta Hawks, though, they finished eighth in the East, 41-41 overall record. They had a very interesting stat. It was something along the lines of like the last 30 or 40 games of the regular season. They essentially spent plus or minus uh, one around uh, 500. So for as much as Miami has had troubles and struggles with sustaining success, Atlanta Hawks have kind of been there with them. They're and again keeping with the perfectly balanced idea, five and five in their la- in the last ten of the regular season. And for Atlanta side, like with Miami, no major injuries listed, so pl- they'll be healthy as well. Miami will be hosting as they are the higher seed, but remember this is not a best of anything. This is this is like March Madness. This is one game win in advance. Uh, otherwise, you get a second shot in the 9-10 matchup. But for this Atlanta matchup itself, this is a Atlanta team Miami is legitimately experienced in taking down. They won last year's playoff series 4-1 in, a, in an opening round series where Miami just absolutely dismantled Trey Young outside of one game that he, he shot decently at, and that was the game three that they won. But counter-arguments... Um, if you're not going to get swept in a series and you're the, the lower seed where you, you play those three and four on your home court, game three is usually the one that you win so that way you avoid going into the 0-3 hole. And then, you know, game four, Miami took care of business. And then game five, they finished taking care of business. So whooped them last year. And then this year, even with the DeJounte Murray trade the Atlanta Hawks did, Miami still won the season series 3-1 most recently winning the two straight in March at Miami. And even that last, that only game that they lost against the Hawks required arguably a really hot shooting fourth quarter by Jamal, uh, it's not Jamal, DeJounte Murray in order for them to win. So it could have very easily have been a 4-0 sweep this year. Like the main thing for being so confident going into this matchup is just the track record Miami has of, again, just beating them last year, beating them this year. They seem to have their number. At the very least, they know how to engineer their defense to just make life hell for the Hawks. So what is Miami going to do in this game? I think they do just what they've been doing up to this point so far. Let Trey Young play inefficient hero ball scorer. If he wants to jack up 30-footers after 30-footers at like a 30% clip, by all means, man, go ahead. We're just not going to let you get into any of your playmaking and we're going to make life hell for you as a scorer to where you're going to be shooting inefficiently. After that, limit uh, DeJounte Murray's off-ball damage. That was the one game that Miami ended up losing to the Atlanta Hawks this year was DeJounte Murray going off in the fourth quarter. And then lastly, watch out for their really long athletic transition game, which is not all their players, obviously. Like Trey Young, I wouldn't really call long and athletic, but um, it's the John Collins, the... 
I think it's Okongwu is his name. I'm trying to remember other, like, really good. De- uh, DeAndre Hunter, to a degree as well. Like, keep them from getting out in transition, and that'll, you know, keep things more in Miami's favor. And then on the other side for Miami, just feed Bam Adebayo. The Hawks really don't have anybody that can guard Bam Adebayo if he legitimately gets going. He's just going to overpower them, get him in foul trouble, which obviously helps us as well. And in at the very least, though, just keep things close. Jimmy Butler will take us home. So I legitimately think this is a game Miami wins. It, it still... There's a little bit of hesitation in me to de- even say that this Heat team with all the ups and downs this season, uh, uh, that I could even be confident that they could win any game in front of them. Like, this could be a game that their offense dies in the third quarter and they end up losing. That That's still completely possible. But on the average, given this team in specific, with the track record Miami has had over the last uh, year or two, this should be a game Miami wins. As I mentioned, winner gets the seventh seed, will play the Boston Celtics in round one. If Miami were to lose this game, they will play the winner of the 9-10 matchup. Nine is the Toronto Raptors, who they lost the season series to 1-3. And then the other it would be the Chicago Bulls, who they got swept in the season series 0-3. So in a, in a weird way, that ma- one of those two scares me more than the Atlanta Hawks. So please, Miami Heat, do not mess around with this game tomorrow and just punch your ticket early. Otherwise, you're playing an additional game, um, and that would be on Friday. So, again, Miami playing Tuesday night. If they lose, then they will be looking Wednesday night to see who wins the 9-10 matchup that will be their opponent this Friday. Should Miami win then this Friday, they will have the 8th seed and play the Milwaukee Bucks in round one. So, a few, so a few different scenarios for how this could play out. Again, I just hope that they win tomorrow and play Boston because the Bucks. I already mentioned a little bit earlier they have the kind of team that could really damage Miami's defense and make that like a four or five game series Boston I think we could Jedi mind trick into a seven game series and if you get to game seven it's kind of anybody's anybody's series at that point so, since it is also postseason time now, I'm going to be changing up the coverage a little bit on the podcast and going on more of a game-by-game basis now since, you know, everything's nice. I only have to focus kind of one game at a time. I don't have to worry about all these different teams kind of thing. So the game plan now then, the next podcast will actually be this Thursday where I will recap the Tuesday game and either preview the first-round series against the Boston Celtics because I'll have, if they win Tuesday... Then I'll have Wednesday to prep for the Boston Celtics, and I can make that podcast uh, record on Thursday and drop then. Or, if the worst case happens, Miami loses tomorrow, then I can use Wednesday to see who they will play in the 9-10, and Thursday will be previewing uh, that matchup for Friday. Again, I hope I'm not. I hope I'm previewing Boston Celtics uh, come Thursday, because then that series will start over the weekend uh, before we would usually drop the pod Um Usually we do that on Monday. But then as we get into the playoffs as well, it'll be the same thing. I'm going to go on a game-by-game basis. Even if it's only like 10, 15-minute episodes that I just have to kind of bang out real quick because uh, I have to balance it with, with the other things I have going on in life. Uh, but I at least want to up some of the content I'll be providing for the postseason. But for now, 
I do thank you for hanging around. That'll be all for this episode. Please, if you can, follow the pod at Heaters Heating and myself at Kyle underscore B underscore Russell, all off of Twitter. Also, check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball. I mean, we're getting into the postseason time, so if you have any interest in some of the other uh, teams that we covered, now is a good time for it. You know, Nets, Celtics, uh, well, Pacers, not so much. They're, they're out of things. Uh, then I think we saw at the West Coast people as well. But links to everything as usual in the show notes if you want to check that out. I'll be back this Thursday. So until then, hope you all have a good one, Heat Nation.